Well, good morning. Glad to be here. I hope so. Would you help me just thank our worship team? They're gone. They went behind the stage. Would you just help me thank them because... Having a vehicle like music is a gift from God, and we get to be able to have our minds and our hearts ready to hear the word, and most importantly, to respond to the word. So we are starting a new series uh, called Choosing Sides. I'm sure you saw in the video, and this is still in the Gospel of Luke, but we're just starting a new section where Jesus made some pretty heavy-duty statements. He made some pretty heavy-duty demands, and uh, he, the only thing he demands from us is a total surrender. Say that with me. Come on. One, two, three. Total surrender surrender. So we got to choose. We got to choose sides. I want you to choose to be here on Tuesday night. Tuesday night is something very special. Right now at this season of life, we are doing prayer nights on Tuesday night, the very last Tuesday of every month. And I really want to ask you to come at seven o'clock. It's for anybody. You can come late. You can come early. It's not like you have to just come in for a service. If you need anything, does anybody need something? Is anybody going through anything? Do you know someone who's going through something? I want to ask you to come to prayer night. Prayer night is not just about, well, I'm just going to come and say a few prayers. If you need prayer, there's a place to be prayed for. Last time we had prayer night, there were two people who had just, um, one guy named Jeremy had some massive headache and stomach issues, went to the doctor for six weeks, couldn't seem to figure it out, came in with pain. They had prayed for him. Our elder team and pastors prayed for him. And when he left, he was completely pain-free, and he still is. So uh, just things begin to happen, you know, when we pray. How many of you believe the power of God is real? The power of God can transform, and he can do amazing miracles. So we are believers in that. So don't forget Tuesday night, very special night, 7 o'clock here. We also have uh, children's uh, ministry for you during that hour if you have little ones. Um, also, we have a baptism today I'm real excited about. Someone gave their life to Jesus Christ. That's going to be after second hour. I just want to ask you to please pray for those that make this decision. This is the biggest decision that a person can ever make in their life. And we want to make sure at MVCC we are loving and protective and careful. And, and we want that person, these people, to walk with Jesus Christ. So please just keep that, that baptism in prayer after second hour. going to be exciting. Um, as you heard, maybe when you came in early... Our high school students just came back from camp yesterday. Our high school ministry uh, was at camp for an entire week up near Fresno at a place called Hume Lake. And uh, the reason I love camp so much and missions trips and, and especially young people getting away from just, just the, the norm of our culture and the busyness and the hectic, you know, in front of a screen all the time is they get to put all that stuff away and they get to focus on relationships, community, but most of all, the relationship and the best community of all is knowing Jesus Christ. And so they go through uh, two worship sessions during the day. They get teaching from the word of God. They get a life group time where they actually get to process what they're hearing and it just sometimes you know as young people they get opportunity to just kind of pour some things out that they're struggling with and uh, so the theme for the camp was truth be told I, I love that because in our culture today there is no truth everybody's got their own truth in fact it's even unpopular even in churches today some churches to even call out what truth is we don't want to offend people we 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 want to stay uh congruent with culture and we don't want to be too offensive we don't want to rock the boat i gotta just say jesus was a boat rocker man jesus spoke truth he was the truth he is the truth 
And so today we're starting a series about if you've accepted Jesus Christ into your life, I am so glad that you've done that. But you know as well as I do, if you've been following Jesus for more than about five minutes, sometimes it's challenging to continue to follow him because we got temptations, we got worldly pressures, we got all kinds of stresses that we have to deal with, and sometimes we don't choose very well. God wants us to choose wisely. He wants us to choose in unity. And so today we're going to look at Luke 11, 14 to 28. And I just want to ask, ask you to hold a place there. If you don't have your Bible, we're going to have it on the screens. But I just want to get in the context of where Jesus had an encounter with a demonic person. Uh, we, don't, we don't really encounter that here today in, in the South County area. Um, I, 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 I've, I've seen things and sensed where the enemy has been working in places that we've gone far away on missions trips in remote areas. But in this area here, the enemy uses different ways to try and get us distracted from choosing wisely to follow Jesus Christ and be in unity with him. Before we read this text, Jesus is going to encounter a man who cannot speak because the demons got a hold of his tongue. He's not been able to physically, verbally speak. And so we're going to see how Jesus deals with this. We're also going to see a group of people that literally come against Jesus to entrap him and try and test him. And then we're going to see how Jesus responds to that. I just want to go back to a scene. This whole idea of unity and choosing is so paramount, especially in our culture today. It's huge today. Where, where as I mentioned, truth is kind of subjective. Where Jesus gives us truth, but he gives us truth in love. The disciples that we're going to see here in this 11th chapter are standing around watching Jesus perform this incredible miracle that we'll read about. About six to eight months after the scene that we're going to look at here, we're looking at the last six months of Jesus' earthly life. He knows he's getting ready to go to the cross to die for our sins. And so the disciples are watching Jesus do all this. Little do they know that when Jesus is ascended into heaven after his resurrection, he tells his 12 disciples, guys, I need you to go back to Jerusalem and I need you to wait for the gift that I'm going to give you. They had no idea, I believe, what Jesus was talking about. All they had was his word, and they had a choice to make. And I'm so glad that they did what Jesus told them to do. Because as they went up to the upper room and they waited, they had a prayer meeting. I, I just think that there's something we, we, we need to grab onto when we have nothing else to grab onto. We need to do what great, 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 great grandma did. Great, 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 great grandfather did. Let's try praying. They were in a place where they weren't sure, but they had to trust and choose wisely, and they were in unity in that room, as we'll see in a second. I want you to hear as these doors are locked, because I believe they were fearful, I believe that they were sketchy, I believe that they, they didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but they, all they had was to trust the word that Jesus gave them. I want you to wait for the gift that I will give you. All of a sudden, there's a rushing wind that comes into this upper room, which they had been to many times before with Jesus. And as they were praying, each one of them were so filled with the Holy Spirit power that there was a different Peter from when he walked into the room than when he walked out of the room. The difference is the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is literally God that lives inside of you. You, you need to know if you are a follower of Christ, this is your GPS spiritual unit. This is the third person of the Trinity. This is God inhabiting your soul. 
You have God in you. And when Peter sees an opportunity, which it was called Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, which the Jews came from all over the region to celebrate this festival, when, when Peter saw an open door opportunity, he gives the very first message of the gospel. He gives the good news of Jesus Christ to Jews and to Gentiles. And it says that 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus Christ and they were baptized right on the spot. That would have been an amazing scene. That would have been, it would have been awesome to be there, to see God move in a way that he had never moved before among that many people, for people to say, yes, I will follow Jesus Christ. I believe he died, I believe he rose again, and Peter and the apostles and the 100, 120 decide to baptize these people right there. Here's what I wanna key in. They had to make a decision. That's what we're talking about. They had to choose, I will obey him, even if I don't understand it, even if I don't like it, even if I'm not feeling it. This is huge for us now in South County because I come across a lot of people. Oh yeah, Pastor Mike, I believe in Jesus. We go to so-and-so church. We've been believers for so long, but I'm just not feeling it. So I'm not gonna follow. And they don't say those words, but I can tell that's what's creeping into the church today. We have to choose and then we must be in unity. If we are divided on the inside, we will be divided on the outside. And Jesus is, he is asking for a total surrender of choice and unity right here. Are you with me? I remember I was sitting in Bible college and I had a friend who sat next to me and he tells his story in the middle of class, which I to this day remember. He was in college, his sister was diagnosed with a terminal cancer brain tumor. And I remember this as he told the story. He asked his pastor if they could have a special, a special prayer meeting for his sister. He says, of course you can. And so the, almost the entire church, as he was the youth pastor in that, that congregation, they came together. And as he prayed, he was asking God to do a miracle in his sister's life. Now, here's the thing that I will never forget about this. He said, and he was very gracious. He was not judgmental. He was not... Um, condemning at all. He just said, look, if you're here tonight and believer in, how many of you are believers in Jesus Christ? Of course, every hand went up because we're at a prayer meeting. And then he said this, we're going to ask God to heal my sister. If you do not believe that God can do this in unity with us right now, I'm going to ask you to leave the room. And he wasn't asking them to leave like you're on the out. You can't come back to this church. He said, right in this moment, I need unity, man. I need unity to believe that God can do something. I thought that was so powerful. It was bold, it was truthful, and yet he was loving. And at the end of that prayer, later they got the word that his sister had been healed of this tumor. It was an amazing story. It was an amazing testimony to decision, to choose wisely, and to be in unity. Now let's get to the text as Jesus encounters this horrific scene that I think most of us would be our eyes would come out of our, we would, we would be hanging on Jesus' every word right here if we were in this. So let's, cl let's climb into this together. One day, Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak. And when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. Now watch this. The crowds, were, key word here, crowds were amazed. But some of them said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Others trying to test Jesus demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. And so he knew their thoughts. So he said, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. We know that, don't we? You with me? 
Okay. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. You say, I'm empowered by Satan, but if Satan is divided and fighting against himself, how can his kingdom survive? It's logic. And if I'm empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcist? They cast out demons too, so they'll condemn you for what you have said? But if I am casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For when a strong man is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe. Until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off his belongings. Anyone who isn't with me, here's the key verse, anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Tough words, but truth, right? I tell you, I'd rather be blessed with the truth of God. I want to hear the truth of God. Don't give me cat-encoded Christianity. Don't make me something, give me something that feels good. I want truth. One person's with me. All right. When an evil spirit, now watch this. This is the key. This is the key. When the enemy starts working and he's got a stronghold in some area or a place in your life, watch this. When an evil spirit leaves a person and goes into the desert searching for rest, when it comes, it finds none. It says, I will return to that person I have come from. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept and in order. And then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. As he was speaking, a woman in the crowd called out, Bless God! Bless your mother! The woman or the womb from which you came, the breast that nursed you. Right on, Jesus! Amen! Keep going! Jesus isn't impressed by words. Jesus replied, But even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. You still with me? Let's stay on this. The first thing we see real quick here is an act and an accusation. Jesus heals this man. This man, we don't know how long he couldn't speak, but can you imagine not being able to verbalize, not being able to speak in culture today where everyone else is speaking? The demonic world is real. There is an evil presence. It might not manifest itself here in South Orange County, although he can in demonic form, but I know that he works with other schemes. His one MO is to get you away from Jesus Christ, to get you so distracted from Christianity that the choices you'll make, you'll be so divided of heart that will no longer be useful for God's kingdom service. So what I see here is really quick that Jesus has power over nature, he has power over disease, and he has power over the evil world. The power of the devil definitely is real in verses 15 to 16, but now he's getting this accusation from most likely probably the religious leaders who were afraid of Jesus. They were afraid of him. They were intimidated. Did you notice in the text it says the crowds People were amazed. People were praising God. As soon as the religious leaders saw that and they felt that in that circle, we don't know if there was hundreds, maybe even thousands around Jesus, that's when they panicked. And that's why they come out with this accusation. I mean, it's really, it's illogical. It's not common sense. It's crazy. You're doing this by the power of the devil. Jesus obviously comes back with common sense. Why would the devil fight against himself? The devil knows the power of unity. I want you to hear this. The devil, you don't see Satan fighting against each other. You don't see the demonic fighting against each other. But I've seen a whole lot of churches that fight against one another over dumb stuff. Even unbiblical stuff, right? 
The power of unity is so, so immense, it's so epic that God himself knew even him, himself the power of unity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're in complete unity. And God calls us to be in unity with his word and with the obedience that God calls. And then collectively, as a family, we are to be in unity, which I want to get to here in just a second. What does that look like? The strong man, this illustration, I love Jesus' teaching. He just gives illustrations that we can relate to. If someone's guarding his home, he's got all these possessions that he wants to make sure are secure. He's got all locked up in safe, safes, and he's the one that's guarding the home. And someone comes in who's stronger to steal away. I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want that to happen to your marriage, your single life, raising your kids, going to school, wherever you find yourself. Maybe you're starting a new job, and you got high hopes, man. This is, this is my dream job. I got... I got the job I wanted, and you got these high expectations of what's going to happen. Choices and unity are absolutely paramount. You cannot have a house that's divided. It won't work. And so the enemy wants nothing else than to steal your soul. He wants to steal your soul. He wants to steal your values. He wants to creep in and bring compromise. He wants to do it through media, through movies, through friends, through pressure. Anything he can do to get us compromised, the values that we've been given in the Bible that are for healthy and wholeness. Standing on our convictions, standing on the commitment of God is where God wants us to be. Choose unity, man. We have to be able to choose wisely and stay unified, which leads us to the second thing that I see here is we got to choose. What side are you on? I heard Greg Laurie say one time at Harvest Crusade, well, to, to not decide is to decide. As he gave the gospel, Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. If you want to receive Christ and have heaven and peace, love, joy, all those things that he offers through the Holy Spirit power, if you want to have all of your guilt washed away by the blood of Jesus, just come. And if you're sitting here today, I remember he said this, it was like yesterday when he said this, to not decide is to decide. Well, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking maybe I'll give my life to Jesus Christ. To not decide is already to decide no. Jesus is saying, look, you gotta get to the right or you gotta get to the left, you gotta be with me. Being with me doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It doesn't mean you have to have it all together. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ picks ragamuffins? I mean, spiritually, that's what we are. All of us are, have been spiritually bankrupt. And when you come to Jesus Christ because you know that there is no other way out of life than accepting Jesus and his love and his commitment to you, you know, you know that Jesus is alive. Now a woman cries out in the middle of all this. I, I like to think that there's at some points thousands of people around Jesus peering in, looking over, looking over shoulders, small children running forward. There's people kind of milling about. What did he say? What's he going to do next? And a woman says, blessed of God are you. In fact, your mother. Praise God. You are awesome. This is amazing. And as I said, Jesus isn't impressed with words. Those who hear my word and obey. I think Jesus said in another place to his disciples, if you love me, if you really love me, then you'll obey what I tell you. And when you don't obey and you make a mistake and you fall and you choose not wisely, when you choose the wrong path, I'll be right there to forgive you, pick you up, dust you off, and we keep going. Aren't you glad for that? I mean, aren't you glad that we have a God who picks us up, dusts us off when we make a bad choice? How many choices, how many bad choices do we make a day? <laughs> many, right? 
Driving down, Marguerite, someone pulls right in front of you. Crown Valley, it happened to me the other day. And I went back to the old mic. That was 32 years ago. Why would I go back to the old mic? I'm yelling at the guy and my windows are up like he's going to hear me. We go back to that old life because we'll just always live with a thing called sinful nature. In fact, Paul talked about in Galatians 5, there will always be that tension. There will always be this conflict. And here's the deal. Which one are you going to feed the most? Are you going to feed the spirit inside of you, the Holy Spirit power? Or are we going to feed that fleshly nature? I want so much for all of us here at MVCC to decide today. I am going to make a choice to be in unity within my soul and unity with my family that we are going to follow the Lord no matter whether it's comfortable, no matter whether it's hard, no matter whether it's I just can't do this, God. That is the best place to be. God, I cannot do this. I can't go through this. Jesus says, now I got you where I want you. When you're hanging at the end of the rope and you've got no place else to turn, Jesus, you're my only hope. You're my only hope. You're my only hope. That's the kind of Christianity I want. That's the kind of church we want to be desperate for Jesus Christ. I want your faith to be so desperate. So for me, my story was simple. When I accepted Jesus Christ, I accepted Jesus because my life was in a free fall. I was so empty, tired, and sick, and sick and tired of being empty, that Jesus was my only way out. And when I heard the gospel for the first time, man, I made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. I followed Jesus because there was a hole in my heart. The world can't satisfy. Are you with me? Anybody else like that? I was washing my car, just catty corner, right over here in the Madrid homes. I was washing my car in the front driveway. Two guys come up in bicycles with badges on and ties, and they had presented their, their spiel to me about the Book of Mormon. I remember listening to that. I had been maybe a Christian for three weeks. I hadn't even read through, like, the whole New Testament. I just, all I knew was Jesus put this love in my heart. He changed my life. I was, the anger and some of the chip on my shoulder kind of rolled off, and Jesus changed my life, man. And these guys come up in bicycles. I didn't even know what a Mormon was, and I remember thinking in my mind as they left, and they were very nice, very cordial. They were very friendly. As they were leaving to go to the next person in my neighborhood, I remember thinking to myself, do I have to be a Mormon? Are they Christian? What about Muslims? What about Dianetics? What about atheism? What about Buddha? What about all these other world religions? And I got all these questions. And I, I literally got in my car, went over to my youth pastor's house, because I'm kind of an intense person. My wife says all the time, can you do anything without being so intense about everything? I said, I'm sorry. I know it's a curse. So I drive over, knock on his door. Pastor Worthington, can you please help me? Because I got all these questions. Am I saved? Am I still saved? Do I still have Jesus? What about these people? What about this religion? What about... I, I remember he goes, calm down, dude. Let me help you. He was discipling me, which by the way, if you're not in a discipleship relationship, I like to call it just a coaching relationship. If you do not have a spiritual coach around you, the number one tennis player in the world, the number one guy has a coach. We all need help. We all need a coach. And I'm so thankful I had him because he put a book in my hand. It was so systematic. It was written by a guy by the name of Josh McDowell. He was a professor 
in an Ivy League school. He did not believe in God. He was an atheist. In fact, he went out to disprove Christianity, just like you maybe read the books of Lee Strobel, Case for Christ, Case for Faith, incredible books. Basically, he went out to disprove Christianity. He found out so much overwhelming evidence. The reason that I'm speaking about this and bringing this up is we follow Jesus because we needed him from the heart. I hope that's your case. And I know that Jesus is alive because he changed my life. I tried to change my life. I couldn't do it. So I know he's alive. I know he's risen from the dead. I know that he's at the right hand of the Father waiting for the second coming to take us all home, which I hope it's today. Man, I would love to go home today to heaven forever for eternity and take all of you. I hope we live on the same street in heaven, right? But here's the other thing. I was lacking. Remember it said if the strong man and someone stronger as he's protecting his house and protecting his arsenal, if a stronger man comes in, he can steal it. I don't want you to be stolen away by the enemy because you don't know what you believe. Most believers, if we did statistics, I've read statistics, most believers, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. Yes, I know that I'm going to heaven, but they cannot articulate, why do I believe what I believe? So I wanna just refresh our memory on a couple of things that are so important. Unity in the non-negotiables. What we're talking about here is Jesus says, a house divided will not stand. We got that? That's easy. So that means we have to be united. We have to make a wise choice. Question is, what are we unified in? Are we unified on the color of the carpeting? Are we unified on the kind of screens that we have, the kind of cameras, the kind of lights that are here, the way we did the stage? Are we unified in the kind of crummy looking parking lot? I know it looks bad. We're going to get that thing resurfaced in August. It's going to be great for all of you and for our guests because we want to present something really nice and well. Are we unified in that stuff? The fact that where the, what the pastors wear or the leaders, the way they do things or the way they, we're not unified in what we call the negotiables. I can be in a church and not like the color of the stage. Does that make sense? I, I, can, I can be in a church where I don't really, man, the music's okay, but it's not like, man, it gets me moving towards the Lord. It's, that's okay. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not basing my faith on what we call negotiables. And that's where we get messed up in church is all of a sudden we start focusing on the negotiables and we put those in the non-negotiable column. So there's two columns. I just want, real quick here, we're gonna do the non-negotiables of the scriptures, right? The Bible has what we call non-negotiables. We have to agree. We have to be in unity about these. Then there's the non, I'm sorry, the negotiable things, which I just mentioned. Let's go over here. Just wanna spend a couple minutes on what we call, the Bible says, the non-negotiables. The Bible itself, the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. It's the complete word of God. Contrary to some of the television shows, they're not missing books of the Bible. There's no missing books of Judas. They're, they're, they're just not there. 66 books from Genesis to Revelation are God's complete word. A span of 1,500 years, they were written by 35 different authors on three continents, and they all agree on the same thing. We are created by a God in heaven. He loves us, but because we've sinned, we've separated ourselves from God, but Jesus came down, God came down in the form of a man to die on the cross to take away all of our sins, and if we received Christ, John 1, 12 says, we are now saved. We are back in relationship with God by faith. That is the complete message of the Bible all the way through. Now, there's a lot of interesting things in the Bible, but that's the central message of the Bible. Jesus gave up his life so you could have life. Not just in heaven, but here on earth. 
The Bible's the only religious book, as I go back to that illustration of Josh McDowell, as well as Lee Strobel went down the same path, is they started studying and looking at all the world religions. Which of these books out of 220 plus world man-made religions, which one is truth? We're not biased into that. We just want to look at the facts. Why do you believe what you believe? And how are we going to know what we're supposed to be unified in? Number one is the Bible itself, the word. The Bible is the only religious book that uses real places, real things, that has real artifacts. Over 500 manuscripts that they have found that are literally in museums now from the New Testament. That's more than any other piece of literature known to mankind. It's just amazing. The amount of factual evidence about the word of God, that is what we call the non-negotiable. We together on that? Okay, second is the internal evidence, the inside evidence of the Bible itself. There's over 300 prophecies about Jesus alone. A prophecy is simply God can tell the future because he's God. If we looked on a timeline from the beginning of time, which by the way, if you believe that we are 60 billion years old, that's okay. If you believe like some scholars have actually tried to trace back every generation from the Bible from Genesis, that we're only about 19,000 years old, we can agree to disagree. Does that make sense? When we start going, oh, no, we're not billions of years old, so I'm leaving that church or I'm leaving the faith. Those are what we call the gray areas, the negotiables. It's okay. Jesus is not going to, when we get to heaven, say, did you believe the world was 60 billion years old or 19,000 billion years old? He's not going to ask us that. Did you do my will if you're a follower of me? Getting back to the internal, if we have a timeline of when things were created thousands of years, the Old Testament period, and then we have Jesus born at zero, and then we have 30, year 33 which is where he died on the cross. And now we have 2022. You with me? God can see everything that's happening in this span of 33 years to Jesus Christ. Where he'd be born, things that he would say, things that, he would, ha- things that would happen to him the very year he would come. Literally when he's hanging on the cross, what people would say and what people would do to him, throwing the spear in his side, stripping him of his clothes, casting lots. I mean, there's over 300. Watch this now. Why do I believe what I believe? What's my unity in? I believe the word of God, not just because Jesus changed my heart, but it's factual Every single prophecy to this day so far has come true. There's not one false prophecy in the Bible. And we don't say that arrogantly. We don't say that the attitude that we have is not, well, I got the truth and you don't. It's God has the truth. None of us have it. That's the way I look at it. We're all wrong and Jesus is right. And the word, the word, the word, that's our unity. Jesus Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the word of God is where our unity is found. In Zechariah 9.9, it actually said that Jesus was going to be betrayed by one of his closest friends. Of course, we know that to be Judas. Just a couple of examples. John 12, 12 to 15 is where it was fulfilled. Jesus was going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. That was uh, prophesied Isaiah 53 and fulfilled in Matthew chapter 8. There's just prophecy and scripture after scripture after scripture. So when we're in a place of fear, when we are driven by emotions, when we're not feeling it anymore, and I just don't know if I'm going to follow Jesus anymore... I'm standing on what I know, man, not what I feel, because feelings come and go. And the unity that we share, have you ever felt like you've been in a bad place or a scary place or a place of a lot of question, and one brother or one sister, someone come around you in a life group and all of a sudden surround you and say, I understand what you're going through, let's pray. I'm with you. I understand. I got questions too about the Bible. I don't understand everything in this book, 
but I know that I believe in the non-negotiables of the book, and that's where our unity is found. I believe Jesus, in this moment, was not only addressing this man's problem of a demonic, but he was already foreshadowing the church of Jesus Christ, that he wanted those 12 disciples to be in unity in the upper room. When the Holy Spirit rushed in, 3,000 people got saved, because it is so on God's heart that every single person gets saved. God wants every person to come to faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't want just a few people. It's not just for the good people. My life was a mess. I'm sure your life was a mess. We could give testimony of how God rescued you from the pit and now you're saved. Which leads us to number three. Empty spaces must be filled by God. Empty spaces have to be filled. Now this illustration literally that Jesus gave about the demonic, we have another case where there was a woman who was uh, exercised by Jesus from a demon. It was not filled up back in her heart of God. And unfortunately, they came back stronger with seven demons. That principle is still trust for us today. What does that mean? That means if I come to Jesus Christ, and I know that now because I've come to Jesus, I've received his love, his forgiveness, and now I see that I gotta make some changes in my life, and he is prompting me to make those changes, and he's partnering with me to do that, And if I do not fill that space with Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit power and devotion to the word and faith and obedience, then the enemy can come right back in and he comes back stronger. That's why this scripture is so good for us because there's a warning. We cannot be lackadaisical about our following Jesus Christ. We must remain vigilant. We must remain on point, focused, unified, and make wise choices. I'm really afraid for what's happening in the public school system. I'm afraid for what's happening in our nation. I really am. And I don't mean that fear like the sky is falling, there's nothing we can do about it. I'm just very concerned for folks who are lost, just like we were. That's why it's so apparent, it is so absolutely necessary that there's an urgency among us. Know what you believe, have your convictions, stand on those convictions, and stay in unity with believers who have those same non-negotiables. Amen? You can only put Jesus in one of three categories. C.S. Lewis said this the best. It's so easy. Anybody can remember. A child can remember. There's three L's. Either Jesus was a complete liar. He lied about being the son of God. He lied about being God in the flesh. He he lied about the fact that he was in heaven and came to earth and he was going to die. He lied about all that. Or he was a lunatic. That's what helps us remember. He was mentally ill. There was some type of mental illness he was going through. He thought he was son of God. Or he was, capital L, Lord. Real quick, does Jesus follow a profile of someone who's a liar? No, we never see in scripture that he lied. He was never caught in a lie. So we don't see that as a pattern in his life. So that doesn't work. Cross that one off. What about mental illness? Does Jesus fit a profile of someone being mentally ill? Absolutely not. When I go to the doctor, when you go to the doctor and you're just feeling down or depressed or whatever, and you go in and just not feeling it, I'm sleeping in, I don't have a desire to do anything anymore, I think I'm suffering from depression, he or she's going to ask you some questions. And they evaluate your mental state off of those questions. If we use those same questions at Jesus' life, we would say, of course not, he didn't suffer from mental illness. The only one that's logical and the only one that's factual is number three, he was the Lord. And if he's the Lord, then everything he said is true. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We are in unity about that. That's where our unity is found. And when you know, when you're in a family or when you're on an athletic team or you're in some type of work project at school and you have a team around you that nobody's out for themselves and everybody wants to get to the end goal, you know what that's like? 
Man, it's as smooth as butter. It's amazing. You can get anything done. There's power in that. Think about a church, believers, with Holy Spirit power that we actually believe the non-negotiables, the essentials together. And our vision is so sure. Our vision is so clear that Jesus said he wants us to bring people to Jesus Christ by faith and make disciples who make disciples. Are you in? I'm in, man. Put me in, wherever you want me to be. And that means now being a part of that family and a part of that team is a joy. I get it. I came to Jesus because I'd be lost without him. But I secondly believe in Jesus because I know the truth is truth. I know it to be factual. I know it's where I can stand on. And so Satan, you can come in and try and steal whatever you want. You're not getting this stuff. I'm not moving. I'm not giving you a foothold in the name of Jesus Christ. So wrap this up. God's given us, I believe, just through this the teaching of, uh, of Luke 11, some practical points of what are we going to do? Just like the lady said, praise God, cool, okay, I believe it, not enough. Even the demons believe and they shudder. God's looking for devotion. He's looking for commitment. He's looking for obedience. I think it was James that said, the half-brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James, faith without works is dead. He didn't say works save you. He's just saying there should be some evidence that I'm in your life. If there's not a change internally that works out here, if there's no change, I have to evaluate. I need a Holy Spirit moment. I need to come to Jesus Christ and let the Holy Spirit fill my soul because I don't want the enemy to fill that place, that empty place. Amen? Number one is this. Choose this day whom you're gonna serve. Choose. Well, I'm thinking about it. Well, I, I got to go home and pray about it. I got to fast. You can fast till you look like a broomstick. This, you don't need to fast on this one. You don't need to pray on this one. This is the only time I'm going to tell you, don't pray. Just decide. Pastor Mike said, don't pray. Because we have a mind. We have a heart. I'm accepting Jesus Christ. I'm doing it. I'm tired of playing around. I'm not going to dance around this. And the worst is, is to live halfway for Jesus and halfway in the world. You can't do it. It ruins all your fun. It ruins all the sinful fun. And then you can't come here and praise God because you're thinking about the sin that you did, right? So just get, get right or get left. Get with Jesus. Choose today. Who are you going to do it? Anybody here want to accept Jesus Christ today as your Savior? Well, I'm thinking about just to not decide. Is to dis- Jesus said, if you don't decide, man, you're not with me, right? If you're not for me, you're against me. Well, we don't want to rock the boat. Maybe guests won't come back. Listen, I'd rather be on the side of truth in love well don't want to hurt anybody's feelings all right number two is this focus focus what you say and what you do focus on what you say and what you do my encouragement is to dig through some of the stuff we don't have time in 25 minutes to unpack every little prophecy and why the bible's reliable and all that stuff i want to encourage you if you're here and think you know i just don't really believe that i don't understand that i want to encourage you to dig in and we would help you with that there's all kinds of really cool stuff resources on the internet Uh, right now media has some really good stuff about why we believe what we believe and an honest look is the stuff really true so i would encourage you to further study this but what it really comes down to is focusing on what i say and what i do if i'm a follower of jesus i'll follow you lord whether i want to or not or whether i'm feeling it or not whether i'm happy about it i will do what you want me to do and number three is this foster friendships that help you stay focused on right choices man i gotta have bros I got to have brothers, man. Every 
woman needs some women and every man needs some men. Would you say amen to that? If Jesus in the Garden of Eden or the Garden of Gethsemane on the night he was to be crucified said, Peter, James, and John, I just need you to come here and sit. I just need you to sit with me and pray. Just be here with me. I think there were two reasons. Prayer is powerful. Jesus needed prayer in that moment. He was getting ready to decide whether he was going to go to the cross. And I think Jesus needed some companionship. I just... I just think he, I just need you guys to be here with me. At my most intense moment, I'm getting ready to make a decision to die for all the sins of humanity because I love them. If you want to accept Jesus right after the service, we're going to invite you to do that. And you can come give your life to Jesus Christ. If you've given your life to Jesus, my encouragement, I want to help you today with stay focused, wise choices, and stay in unity. Right now, we're going to move into a time of remembering who it's all about, and that's Jesus. Jesus says, as they met in the book of Acts, the first day of the week, they broke bread together. They had the Lord's Supper. They remembered why we're here. And that's what we want to just give you some moments of silence and just peace in a world that's so chaotic, um, just to remember Jesus. And so in the seat back in front of you, there's a cup with uh, some juice and some bread, and we want to encourage you to as Jesus gave the bread and the juice back in the day to the disciples, we just want to encourage you to take a moment here. At the conclusion of our communion time, we're going to do something very, very special for one of our staff, um, Pastor Robert Jenkins. We're going to ordain him into the full-time ministry. And so um, that's going to be a very special time that uh, we're going to have our, our pastors and elders do. So let's focus in on Jesus, and then we'll conclude the service with honoring Robert. God, I just thank you that you made things so simple for us, Lord. And forgive us, God, when we complicate it. Thank you that your love is pure. Thank you that in this moment, God, that we know we're loved by you. And for those that have made that declaration, yes, I'm a follower of Christ. I pray, God, even in this time of communion, that well up something within us, Holy Spirit, that gives us that commitment to say yes. I will stay in unity and I will follow and obey. God, once again, we just come to this this holy place, God, where we know that you are. And we thank you, God, for your perfection, your holiness, your righteousness that you choose to pour into us, God. And God, we just sit as receivers, Lord, today of everything that you have for us. I thank you, God, for your call. You've called every single person to follow you. And I thank you, God, for calling certain ones of your servant to do this full time. And God, we just pray over this moment as we recognize and set apart Robert Jenkins as a servant of yours, Lord, as a leader of your church, your people here at MVCC. We ask, God, that you'll be so present, God, in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. We wanted you to be a part of what we believe God is doing at Missionville Christian, and that is making disciples who make disciples. That simply means we want to continue to empower you to serve God with what he's given you. So Robert Jenkins has been here at MVCC. In fact, he and his wife, Danette, I'm going to call them up in just a moment. We're going to have a prayer for them, but I just wanted to give you a little bit of background about them and why we're doing what we're doing. In the Bible, in Acts chapter 7, verse 10, there's a man named Joseph who's commissioned 
by God. In Matthew chapter 24, there's a reference about being ordained as an overseer of the household of God. In Acts chapter 6 and 7, there's reference there about servant leaders who are ordained from the area of Jerusalem to serve God's people. In Acts chapter 13, it says this, while the believers were worshiping the Lord, while they were fasting and praying, Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Two of them went on their way by the Holy Spirit as they went down to Seleucia. What we're doing is we're recognizing that we believe God has called Robert into the ministry full-time to serve here as a pastor. And so this is something that um, we do because it's a special time to recognize um, what we believe God is doing in this person's life. Basically, to set apart means to lead God's people, to serve God's people, and there's a recognized calling on their life. It doesn't mean that church leaders and pastors are perfect. It just means that they're called to serve the King of Kings and to serve all of us here. We, the elder team and the pastoral team, have recognized we've seen the call on Robert's life and the giftings that he's given him. A little bit of background about Robert and Danette is that they accepted the Lord right around the same age, age 30. And I remember when they were telling their story to me, immediately when they gave their life to Jesus Christ, they recognized that it's a calling to serve the God who has given us new life. So as soon as they were at Valley Vista Church, as soon as they were at a Stone Creek Christian Church, they just jumped in and started serving. As they have two daughters, Emily and Lindsay, grandchildren, I mean, they're their quiver is so full, right? I mean, there's so many blessings that you have. But here's the thing that Robert and Danette, I'm gonna ask you guys to come on up. When there was a need at Stone Creek Christian Church when they didn't have a youth pastor at the time, um, Robert said, hey, I love kids. I'd love to help kids. I'll serve. I'll be the youth director. When there was a spot on the elder shepherd team at that same church to shepherd God's people, he said, I'll, I'll serve as he was asked to do that. Um, they need someone in the parking lot, Robert, to um, direct traffic at Stone Creek Christian Church. I'll, I'll serve. Uh, Robert, you know, we need you to stay after service because the chairs need to be cleaned. And that's just his heart. My wife and I, when we were, um, just had our, our boys, they're about age five and seven. Their church had a small children's program called Awanas. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but it's basically like a youth group for kids, but they learned the Bible and they memorized scripture and all these things. So we took our... Michael and Jonathan to that, and they, every Wednesday night, they went into the church, and they had a Awanas program, and I remember at the end of that, each Wednesday night program, there would be Robert that would come in, and he would ask the kids their Bible verses, and then he would present them with their patches and stickers and stuff to say, wow, way to go, you're memorizing the Word of God, and at the time, I didn't, I didn't know Robert, and I had no idea that we'd be standing here today serving together on the same platform, but isn't that how God is? So um, Robert and Danette, we're so grateful that God has brought you here for the season that we're in together. These are things that we appreciate about Robert and Danette. Number one is their servant heart. Strong work ethic, not afraid to work hard. One of the things that we appreciate about Robert is he brings joy and laughter in the office. I can tell when Robert's there because he's got this huge laugh that's just contagious. And sometimes in ministry and working, you know, for the Lord, you just, sometimes you just need to laugh. And Robert brings that joy to our team. But something that else that 
Now, something else that Robert brings to the team is um, a thing called servant leadership. Robert's the first one to say, I'll help. I'll take care of it. In fact, I think Jesus had some words of wisdom when he took the towel in the basin as he went into the upper room for the last time to wash the disciples' feet. So Robert, I just want to encourage you as um, our pastors, I'd like to ask you to come up and our elder team, would you please come as we um, set apart Robert for ministry? Um, these, these are the tools of the carpenter. And I know you know that. And my encouragement to you as we have this ordination for you, really setting apart what God's already been doing. We have a certificate for you to have this remembrance. But I just, I just want to encourage you to never forget servant leadership is the best leadership, right? And so um, we're going to have a prayer in just a minute over you. We're going to lay hands on both of you. And Danette, I know, is standing by Robert's side, always there to support him and encourage him. And we just, we just know that God's going to continue to bring that in your relationship. Thank you for what you do here at MVCC and in Robert's life and the example that you guys have been. Robert, I just have a couple of questions to ask. Um, do you accept the calling and the privilege that we see that God has bestowed on your life? Robert, will you remember to serve others with humility, with a Christ-like heart and qualities that we see in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and gentleness and respect? Robert, do you dedicate yourself as a living sacrifice to serve the Lord full-time? What a privilege to serve him full-time and with two other things, the towel and the basin. Robert, will you rely on the gifts that God has given you, never relying on self, but the gift giver and the gifts and the very word of God in your heart to continue to serve him in the work of God? Awesome. Guys, can we just gather around? I've asked Pastor Scott if you would just pray uh, in unity as we're uh, just setting you apart, brother. I just want to encourage you, Pastor Robert, to just, you know, take this moment in. This is one of the greatest things I believe God is, you know, bringing into your life, so... And as we, uh, as we lay hands on uh, Robert and Annette here, if you'd like to express your, your, your unity around your appreciation for them and their ministry, if you'd like to extend a hand towards them as an expression of that, that would be great as well. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the calling that you have placed upon Pastor Robert. God, we recognize and we celebrate the gifts that you've placed up, uh, within him and have made a part of him. And God, we pray in this moment of ordination that you would take those gifts and that you would multiply them and multiply their impact. God, we pray that your gifts would flow through him into us as a congregation. Yes. Lord, we pray that you would continue to multiply his effectiveness. God, that the impact that he makes would be felt in the things that he gets done, but also the lives in which he invests. And God, we pray that, is, that through Robert and through Danette, we would hear your voice speaking to us. God, that at the times when it's required, we, that we would hear through his voice the voice of your encouragement and your truth. God, we pray that you would use him and empower him, fill him so full of your spirit that every waking day is a day of ministry that builds your kingdom yes. for your purposes and towards your ends in Jesus' name. Yes. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Amen. I know that Robert and Danette want all that to be for the Lord. Here's the last thing I'm going to say before we go today is don't forget prayer night, 7 p.m. You're going to be here. Bring someone that needs something. Now, Robert's going to step down here for a moment, and he's going to be down on the same level with us. And he's going to ask you to be one of his team leaders or be on one of his service teams. So make sure we're jumping in and serving on one of Robert's seven teams. Amen? All right. Have an awesome day.